0: There you go. That's that's better. Well, Lord, we thank you for today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the rising from the dead. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hey, Lord, we are we're the ones on top, Lord, because we believed in the right person. Right, yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. All other ground surely is seeking sin. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hey, if you've ever done anything right in your life, if you've gotten connected that with Jesus. You did a right thing. Amen. This is the only thing that's going to win. Everything else is not going to win, but this is surely going to win, Jesus. Amen? Hallelujah. This is what they call the life that wins, the life of Christ. Amen? That's what we're celebrating this morning, It's the life of Christ. Let's see. Hey, you know, if you uh, weren't able to come Friday night, was it Friday night? We did uh, the Passover meal, which was really, really blessed. I I felt like the Lord really spoke to me, you know, again, and I just, you know, this is the second time we've done it, and it just went to a higher level, I felt like, from the year before. Dean was more anointed this year. (laughs) It was was the Lord, and of course, we had the Davis girls to dance for us then. (laughs) That was really good, so I like all this, you know, dancing and dramas and stuff. I think that's a way of communicating the gospel. You know, we need to do more of that kind of stuff, honestly. I I really think that, I want you to open your Bible this morning. I'm going to give you a short message this morning. I promise it will be shorter, uh, you know, by a couple minutes anyway. But we are going to give them time to do that drama and us do communion. We don't want to rush that. But I want you to turn to John 20. And let's just, uh, let me read verse 24. I'm going to read through verse 29. It was interesting that Doug had started up in verse 19 and read through verse 23. I'm just going to pick up where he left off. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into into the print of the nails and put my hand into a side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing." And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Amen. Well, uh, you know, about four or five weeks ago, Heidi was, gave me a fax on what she wanted to do with the um, the drama. Brain flushed there. I forgot what it was. <laughs> this morning, but she faxed this thing and she gave me this quote with it. And here's, I want to give you the quote. And I you know, this quote just kept running around. I even forgot where I heard it at. But it's by a man named A.W. Tozer. Y'all know who Tozer is. Isn't he the Lord of the Rings man? The guy who actually wrote the Lord of the Rings? Tolkien. I apologize. I'm very sorry. Tolkien. I'm sorry, Brett. I didn't mess you up there. But here was Tozer's Tozer's quote. This is impressive. It, It says, The aim of Satan... Is for Christians to celebrate the resurrection instead of experiencing it. You got that? The aim of Satan, Satan's goal was for us to celebrate the resurrection instead of experiencing it. And I really thought about that over the past few weeks. And See, we really do believe in the resurrection. Amen? We better believe in it, but that's a powerful thing to believe in. We, we believe in it, we celebrate it. That's good. We need to celebrate. We need to believe in it. We need to celebrate it. We need to preach about the resurrection. Right. I mean, all those things are right. And those things are, are exactly what we need to be doing as Christians. But, but are we living it? Are we living the resurrection? That's, that's the real key. Because you can believe in something and celebrate something, but not really live it. And that would be a real, a real shame and uh, that's what I want to talk to you this morning about. I want to talk to you about how to practically live the resurrected life. Uh, because I'm not interested in just believing something and not living it. I'm not interested in just celebrating something and not living it. Amen? So that's what I want, to, I want to talk to you about, how to practically live the resurrected life. And i got like four, three or four points. I'll decide if I'm going to do the last one or not, but I've got X amount of time. So number one, point number one. The uniqueness of Jesus' resurrection. The uniqueness of Jesus' resurrection. This is very foundation. It says here in verse um, verse 26, it says, And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut. Everybody say the doors being shut. Door's shut. Better, better interpretation is doors being locked. In other words, what the Bible is really trying to be concise about, what it's really trying to co- convey to us is, and that verse is that Jesus did not come in through the doors. He came in another way. And you see, if you really begin to study this thing about the resurrection of Christ, this is very important, and a lot of times we take this for granted, but, but Jesus' resurrection was unlike any other person in the Bible being raised from the dead. because if you think about it, a lot of people were raised from the dead in the Bible. I mean, Jesus is not the only person to ever come back from the dead. Right? I mean, think about it. Jesus raised several people. Uh, He raised uh, Jairus' daughter, a 12-year-old girl. He raised her from the dead. She she had had gotten to her house. A few minutes earlier, she had died. That's the famous saying when He said, Little girl, I say to you, arise. Right, Grace? That's that's how I get Grace up in the morning. Little girl, I say to you, arise. (laughs) She informed me this morning of three things. Number one, you are not Jesus. (laughs) Number two, I am not Jairus' daughter. And number three, I am not 12 years old. <laughs> that was her revelation. She's always had that revelation, actually. When she was four years old, I used to call her a little girl, and she'd say, I'm not, little girl. It's one of my best things, my fondest memories of this little girl. who says, I'm not, little girl. <laughs> so he raised, he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. Then there was another man Jesus raised from the dead. It was a widow's son, a widow at Nain, 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 however you say that. This man had been dead a little bit longer, and they were headed to the graveyard to bury this man. And Jesus stopped them on the way to the funeral, on the funeral, on the way to the graveyard, and brought this young man back alive, and gave him back to the mother. It was her only son. Uh, And then, of course, there's a famous one, Lazarus. Lazarus is unique because Lazarus had been dead for four days. So if you think about it, in a way, if you really look at this, there was a progression in these in these uh, people that had died. I never really had seen this before. As I was meditating on it, I really thought about it. You know, at first you had a little girl who had only been dead maybe a matter of minutes or possibly hours. Jesus was headed there to heal her, and on the way, she died. Then you get this guy who had been dead, I don't know, a day or two possibly, maybe two days at the most, because and that day they didn't embalm like we do today, so they had to get him buried. And Jesus captured him before he ever got to the grave. And then with, the, with Lazarus, here's Jesus. He's sitting around, well, you know, I think I'm going to show everybody how powerful I am. I'm going to show everybody that, you know, I don't care how long you've been dead. I don't care if you're stinking. I can still bring you back. And that was what happened with Lazarus. So you see this progressive power that he was revealing to his disciples. Well, here's Peter later on. He gets in on the act. There was a lady named Dorcas. She died because her name her name was so bad. <laughs> Dorcas, huh? Yeah, but she had died, and she was a wonderful person, evidently. and And Peter had gotten there. This was this is I think is Acts eight or nine where this happened. And she they were saying, man, you know, we've lost this woman. They loved her, and they were showing. Evidently, she sewed clothes, and they were showing. Peter, all the clothes that she had made for the disciples there, and, and Peter cleared everybody out of the room and brought her back from the dead. And then Paul, you know, he hears about all this and says, I'm going to get in on it. So I, he preaches this guy into a stupor. I mean, it says he preached long, and the guy was sitting up in a sill on the second floor and fell asleep and yeah, fell out about midnight, hit the floor, crashed. He was dead you know, Paul was going to show them that he had this anointing in him, so he went back and prayed for this young man. I think it was Eutychus or something like that in the, in the book of Acts. Brought him back from the dead. Uh, so you see, being pe- people, there have been people who have died in the Bible, and many people in the Old Testament, and came back. And even in our time, even in our history, there, there's been documented cases of people being dead and being brought back back alive. So it's nothing unusual for a person to die and come back. But what is different is this, is Christ came back different than when he was buried. Amen? Here's the thing. This is powerful. When, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, he came out and he says he has his grave clothes on him. And the Lord said, loosen and let him go. Because he was bound by the grave clothes. You see, all the people in history, even up to the day, and possibly those who will be raised from the dead in the future, unless Christ returns first, are going to see another day of death. They can, you can be raised up, but you are going to experience death again. You have, another, you have another date with death. But that was the one difference between Christ and everybody else. As Christ was buried, and Christ came back, and if you remember, it says in the Bible that when they found the tomb, they looked in, they saw the grave clothes set aside. In other words, what that thing was trying to prophetically speak to us is that it was nothing could hold Christ back any longer. Death, being the final, strongest enemy, could not hold Christ back. He, he broke through the bonds of death to live evermore. And that's what it was said. And so here's the great thing about Christ coming back, is that He... When He came to the earth as a man, He subjected Himself to natural laws. He subjected Himself to the flesh, of what the flesh can do and can't do. The flesh cannot walk through the wall, right? Your flesh cannot pass through that wall. But, and, and when Christ was on the earth, He could only be in one place at one time, but when He came, when he came back, it changed. In other words, Christ, in His flesh... Because Jesus came back, His resurrection, He came back in the flesh. He said that in Luke 24, verse 39. Look at my hands, look at my feet. A spirit does not have flesh and bones like I have. Now that's a powerful statement. So if anybody who really doesn't believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ, if they just say it was a spiritual thing, they are not, that's another gospel. Because Christ came back in the flesh. That was His resurrection. He's got flesh And bones today. So when they said the doors were locked, are you all with me? When the doors were locked, it means Jesus didn't come and knock on the door. Somebody opened the door let me in. He came into the room and appeared. Because suddenly now He is not subjected to the laws of nature. He's not subjected to the the confines of our natural flesh. He suddenly appears in a room. A couple more places. Says he was walking on the road to Emmaus, got to the place where they were going. Luke 24. Sat down to eat with them, broke the bread, and disappeared right before their very eyes. Just disappeared. How many in this room can disappear? We really can't disappear. We can run off, but we can't disappear. So Christ's resurrection was unique in the fact that he came back different. He is no longer bound by death. He is no longer bound by the natural human matter, by earthly things. He can override any of those things. And that really is a very basic understanding of Christianity. That if we don't have that as a foundation concerning the resurrection, we, really our Christianity is really not going to be what God's called it to be. Are you with me? Alright, that's the first point. Um, let's look at the second point. Second point. He said uh, in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Number two is receiving the marks. Everybody say receiving the marks. The marks of death. Okay? Let me give you a little quote by Watchman Nee. This is powerful. This is where it really... Now, what I just told you was foundational. Now, this... What I want to tell, talk to you about now is going to start coming home to you. It's going to start, how does that apply to me? This is what Watchman D. said in one of his books. and I can't remember which one. He said, Only what can endure the cross possesses true spiritual value. Whatever enters the grave and remains is a dead thing. Whatever enters the grave and remains is a dead thing. Whatever comes out the other side, bearing... The marks of death possesses true spiritual value. Have you got that? So, So what Jesus was showing Thomas here, He was showing him His marks of death. The wounds. He was not saying to Thomas, Thomas, look, man, I was fatally wounded and died for you. Really what He was saying was this, No, Thomas, I was fatally wounded, but I'm still alive. Because I went into the grave because of these wounds that killed me. But the wounds didn't keep me. Those, I came out the other side of the grave. Now, here's the sad thing I believe about Christianity. I believe we have lots of things in our life, you and I. I believe the church has lots of things that does, does not bear the marks of death. Therefore, it has no real true spiritual value. It has no true life on it. And you see, really, in the truth, in in the body of Christ, in the real church of of Jesus Christ, there should be no place for anything else. Everything we should have in the church should bear the marks of death. Are you all with me on that? In other words, what goes into the grave, if it's just something dead, it's going to stay there. It will never come out. It's going to be left there. But what comes out is of Christ. It is of life. Um, listen to what Paul said. From now on, this is Galatians six seventeen. from now on let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now, ask yourself a question this morning. Do, do, do you bear in your body the marks of the Lord Jesus? Now, a lot of people would say, what was Paul's marks of the Lord Jesus? And naturally, they're going to say this. Well, Paul was beaten many times for Christ. Many times he was beaten, and he goes through and lists all the times he was beaten. Well, that's a natural mark. We're not talking about something natural. We're talking about something spiritual. Let me, let me, 1 Corinthians two, verse three. Really, I believe describes what Paul was talking about. He was saying, "I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling." Now, that's the marks of death on a man. I was with you in fear. I was with you in weakness. I was with you in much trembling. Uh, Paul was saying this, because Paul could do a lot of things. He was a very brilliant man, very powerful man, very educated man. But this is how he came. He was saying this, in my flesh, in my flesh, even though I can do all these things, even though I've been educated, even though I've been trained, I can't do it. Because I'm no longer going to rely on myself To do what I need to do. Instead, in my flesh, I come weak. In my flesh, I come trembling. Are you with me on this? In other words, Paul, that was the marks of death on Paul. He no longer depended on his natural abilities, his natural talents. What he depended on was the marks of death in his life. The things that went into the grave that came out of the grave. Those were the things that Paul was dependent on in his life. Those were the marks of death. And the real tragedy in the church today is this. This is a tragedy. Is we have a lot of self confident people. We have a lot of people who are confident in what they can do. And we really shouldn't be confident in anything we can do. Because Paul wasn't confident in anything that he could do. We're confident in what we can do, but the church is impotent. It doesn't have power. And I believe one of the reasons, I believe the main reason we don't have power is we are not walking in the things that were able to go into the grave and come back out in your life. When God takes a person into the grave, guess what? They're going to come out with less because there's going to be some stuff that's going to stay there. It's not going to come back out the other side. And what we've got to do is ask ourselves, see, we're confident in anything. We're confident in our ability, confident in our experience. Confident in our call? Confident in our family? You see, none of those things we should place any confidence in whatsoever. There's no place for it in God's kingdom. Those things, if those things can go into the grave and come back out, then we can place confidence in them. So what you've got to ask yourself this morning, what am I placing confidence in, in my life? I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've got a lot of confidence. I've got a lot of experience being a Christian. Am I placing confidence in that? Then I'm a, I'm, It's a sad thing. Are you with me? Point number three, receiving the marks of life. Turn to John 12. Are you all with me? John 12. And let me read verse 24 and 25. John 12, 24 and 25. This is powerful right here. This is, this is how I'm going to show you how you, how you can really apply this. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, okay, it remains alone. Everybody say, remains alone. But if it dies, we're talking about the cross here. If it dies, we're talking about you, it produces much grain, much fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. Everybody say, will lose it. That, that word life there is sushi. Everybody should know this. You know, it's the fish you eat, the raw fish, sushi. Right? <laughs> Actually, what it is, that means soul. It means your soul. He who loves his soul life, that's your natural life, that's your mind, that's your emotions, that's your will. Okay? He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In other words, he who no longer lives from their soul. He who no longer gets their information from their soul realm, who judges by what they see and hear. That's for people who are, going to, who are going to keep it. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. Let me t- talk to you about this a minute, about falling into the ground and dying. About, you know, on a practical level as a Christian, how we come to a place of death in our life, to gain the marks of death that Paul said he had on, in his body, that Jesus showed um, Thomas and said, "Put your finger in these marks," um, and this is a this is a personal testimony. Okay, so, but it's, it, I really believe this is Lord. See, I began to ask the Lord recently, Lord, um, about God's kingdom, because. In my heart, I'm thinking, somehow or another, we're not connected in with the kingdom of God the way, in a right way. There's more to the kingdom of God than what we're experiencing. Lord, I want to be a kingdom man. You know, I want to live in the kingdom of God. I don't want to just be a church man, you know, because there's something greater than this church. There's something greater just than any individual spiritual principle. That we may have in I There's something greater than evangelism. There's something greater than prophetic. There's something greater than missions. All those things. are something greater, God. What is it? It's, it's the kingdom. And I was asking the Lord, show me how how to be a kingdom man. And I feel like He showed me this message about the cross of really how to come into God's kingdom. All right. Here, here's the. Let me give you this testimony. I think it's about. Uh, well, when I first met Becky, this testimony is about her. She told me I could give this. She don't really do not really teach. She said, as long as it's not bad, I could tell you. It's not bad. Um, I first met Becky, Becky, when she was four years old, started singing gospel music with her family. One day, her, her family, the Singing Davis family, that was the name of their gospel group. And when she was four years old, they were practicing their music and. Becky just started singing along with knew every word to every song they sang because she was just drugged from here to there, you know, going to churches and singing this gospel music. So she, so they immediately got her to start singing gospel music at four years old. So she grew up singing a, a gospel. This is old-timey gospel. Most of you guys probably wouldn't like it. Some of you may. Uh, you know, all-night gospel sings this just kind of thing. grew up in that. And then when I met her, she was still doing that, singing with her mom and dad and her sister. And, of course, we got married. I took her. I stole her away from all that. And she felt like the Lord spoke to her and told her to stop all that, give all that up. Okay? Just, it's over with in your life. So she did. She just put her focus in her life on being a wife and having babies and taking care of babies and um and she did that for ten years. It's like she like this thing that God had put in her, this talent that God had given her, was buried. It was gone. It was as far as she was concerned, it was it was over with for the rest of her life. She had you know, she never tried to go back to it. It was, you know, a settled issue in her heart. And then one day I was ten years into this thing um, I was out cutting grass, and I heard God speak to me distinctively. This is what He said to me: "I mean, I'm cutting the grass, pushing the lawnmower. I'm not thinking about God. I'm certainly thinking I'm not thinking about worship. And I'm certainly not thinking about music. I'm thinking about getting the grass done as fast as I can so I can be done with this miserable chore. And I heard the Lord say this clearly to me: I want to use Becky in music. That's what He said to me. And this is what I, And it was almost like God, in one sense, was asking me." and telling me. You know what I'm saying? It's like he was saying, this is what I want to do. Is it good with you? Uh, but not like I could resist God. And I said, well, that's fine, Lord. You just I'm not going to help her, though. Like I could help her. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to do it, you, you know, you can do it. I mean, at the time, I was not in, had any influence in church. I was just a person who went to church and you know, I couldn't have pulled any strings for or made a place for. I mean, there was nothing I could do, really. So that's just what I told him. And basically just sort of forgot about it and went on about my life, went on about cutting my grass and doing what I had to do in my life. And then, probably a few days later, I was driving home from work, and there was a there was a place called Reliable Music. It's no longer there. It was At the time, it was the, the Mars or whatever of Charlotte. It's music. And they were expounding their guitar sale that they were having. When I heard it, I thought, I'm going to do that. I'm going to buy her this guitar for her birthday. Her birthday was coming. That's what I'm going to do. Because I had just found out that day I was getting some money at work, like a bonus for something. I don't remember what it was, but I was going to get like a thousand bucks or something. It was pretty good. So I was excited. I'm going to get this thing for her. I mean, that was God. God had put that in my heart. I wasn't connecting it back to what God had spoken to me. I just felt like that's something I really want to do for her. And so I told her about the money, and she was like, yeah, you know, we can pay this bill off and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, she was all excited about that. And on her day, I didn't tell her anything what I was going to do. day of her birthday, she got up. She was still talking about paying off the debt. But I said, well, we've got this special thing we're going to do. And so I took her to Reliable Music. took her and my three children, which is seriously a bad deal. You know, you don't... (laughs) Did I want to take three young kids into a music store that's really stuffed and guitar and expensive stuff? You know, I was sort of worried about that. But honestly, it was this is one of the most precious moments I've ever experienced with Becky. I mean, because it, God's presence and pleasure was all over it. And those kids went in there. I said, "Now y'all got to go in here and sit down, and behave. Don't be out here doing what, you know your normal stuff." You leave know my kids. They and, you, you know, usually you have to tell them about nine times, take them out of the car and threaten them and just go through this big deal. They sat like church mouth. They had this look on their face like, don't move. I mean, it was just like God was on them. And Becky went in there to the guy and said, we want to buy a guitar, and this is our budget, and went through every one of them in the room. And it was like she just didn't feel like she could get the one that she wanted. It wasn't there. Finally, the guy said, well, i got one more I can show you. One of our employees got in trouble with the law. He just bought this and had to sell it back to get bail money to get out of jail. And we'll, we'll let you look at that one. And she, they brought it in, and she hit the thing, played it, and the moment she did it, she knew, and I knew, that was it. That was the guitar, and this, this is it right here, the one she broke the string on this morning. This, this, this guitar right here. And it had a case with it. it was a real expensive guitar, Martin guitar. Um, and you know, so we we got we got it, we took it home, and, and shortly thereafter, we came to church one Sunday, and they said, you know, you have to worship team that he's on vacation or sick. We need somebody to sing. Anybody want to sing? Anybody can, can sing. <laughs> we would like. And she said, oh, yeah, I'll help you. And it started that's how her her ministry started in music and they asked her, you know why don't you just stay on the worship team from here on out?" and she began to sing on the worship team she didn't play and she we had a home group we did for years that she did the music in the home group, just really God training her and teaching her how you know how to play music, how to flow and and play and, and sing and and um Here's the thing. This is what I believe about Becky, all right? I believe Becky's ministry has way exceeded mine, okay? Because this is, Becky is, (laughs) who said amen? (laughs) There you go. Brianna, you got to, she knows more about the Lord than I know. (laughs) She's got that anointing on her. I think when she claps, we all have to clap because she's bold. But here's what I mean. See, it talks about a grain of wheat going into the ground. Becky's never going to make a CD, more than likely. Listen, Becky's a one-talent person. She'd be the first one to tell you that. I can't play that good. I really can't sing that good. I'm not that good talent-wise. Okay? I mean, she would say that, right? She just doesn't believe that about herself. now. But here's what is in her heart. Her heart is to see other people come in to do things. That's really what her heart is. It's always been her She's quit trying to be the worship leader over and over and over in this church. Just, I, I'm not supposed I'm going to get somebody else. And it was like, it was never God saying, no, you, yeah, you you know, there could come a day where He says, stop. But this is why I'm saying her ministry has, I feel like it exceeds mine.